0: Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance, your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene, the voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices.
1: Good morning. This is the 3CR Spoken Word Programme. My name is Di Cousins and today I'm interviewing Melbourne poet, playwright and artist Barry Dickens. Um, We're going to be talking about his new play that premiered at the La Mama Theatre in December 2015. Uh, The new play is called Ryan and it's a rewrite of an earlier play called Ronald Ryan which premiered at the Malthouse Theatre about 20 years ago. So first of all I'd like to welcome Barry.
2: Oh it's great to see you again Di.
1: Yeah, and we actually go back a long way, don't we?
2: No, Yes, eons, or maybe just a few minutes. <laughs> it seems simultaneously a long time and no time.
1: Yes, I, I think it's a long time. Um, so I thought, um, as this is the spoken word program, um, that I would read the stage directions and then I'd ask you to read uh, a part of the play.
2: Well, I'm con- contented and thrilled to do that.
1: Excellent. The set is The Condemned Cell at Coburg Prison on the 2nd of February, 1967. It is filth itself, with rusty barbed wire surrounding the dusty louvres of its solitary window. Ryan, sometimes but not for very long, gets up on his stretcher bed and peers through it. He is garbed in disillusioning harsh pants and horrid top with printed black arrows. He looks positively ghoulish. His hair is his only vanity, and this he oils and brooms with a busted plastic blue comb. He is preparing to either be hanged or liberated at eight the next morning. On a grotesque desk, he keeps a dusty copy of the Catholic Bible and a few prison-issue envelopes for his correspondence. He has a razor with which to shave. He has a stick of broken shaving cream. He has a hundred minutes to live. He is feverishly pacing and then feverishly still as a stone. Lights up as Ryan fronts the audience. He is precisely like a river current which has stopped. One lace on his exhausted gymnasium shoes is untied. He is very close to the audience, on edge, as well as nonchalant.
2: hundred minutes left, so don't walk out on me, my darlings. You are the beloved ones, remember? You turned up to see me hang or walk relatively free? There's no harm but the harm. The hours, one of those just stepped in to see me. An hour it was, who liberated me and listened to me with such care. The hour... Sat down and leant his chin on his other arm, like an obedient child, like an obedient bird, like an old longing in my home, which is D Division. Last night the earth stopped and I began to breathe simultaneously. Thank you, David Copperfield. What am I saying? The first Coburg tram has just rumbled over Sydney Road. The first baby just got born not far from Jordan, my home. I want to travel to Jordan and do time with my Redeemer, Christ Almighty, who shall forgive me for murder as he knew more than I about how that felt. They hang the thing they couldn't understand. They pinned him up personally on the blood-stained board, the one person who could have helped. Not just me, but all of the bickering butcher heads of the world, the ones who run the program and ruin the result the ones who tip scorn far in, tip it right in the writers and thinkers who make Stalin look left-wing and alternative. We are ruled by reactionaries who fail kindergarten, illiterate premiers, poisonous parsons, evil architects such as the parasites who designed this jail in windy Coburg, where the wind goes to die and all the fairies commit suicide in their filmy fashion. "'I'm a fairy telling you. "'Besides, I heard what I'm saying already whispered by children in Bell Street. "'So it must be true. "'Last night they shifted every single criminal out of D Division "'just to let me have it, just to stick it up me, "'that I have no fellow murderer to speak or joke with. "'I was all alone in D Division, "'with merely the ghost of myself to talk to and bought a smoke from, "'and thieve his last match, therefore,' and inhale a last gasp of throat cancer on the house. We sat thus, my mortal ghost and my heavenly shade, and we laughed a great deal. And I was for a time frightened. I drown my Catholic Bible, lent to me by the old Salvation Army Bird, who comes here each day without fail, and she reads from it to my one working ear canal. But I don't take it in much, as I'd like to take the lessons in, in sin, I'm a sinner, and they have convinced me of that solemn fact by George. George Hodson. I'll do you. I'll be you. They're hanging me because we were good friends in here. Where's your English accent now you need, George? Give it away, Ryan, you haven't got a chance. Give it away and come back to me, and they'll give you life and not swing you. Swing you for murdering poor old me. You shot me five times, including the shells from the fellow guards who murdered me. Why does everyone want to murder me? I was dead drunken and every other officer was dead drunken. We made homemade scotch in the big still on the West Tower out of indolence, out of boredom in other words. I know you collect words, like pardon. That's the only word will spring you, like a trap bird, my old friend. I came at you and you couldn't even see me in that bright morning sunlight, could you, Ryan? You said there was too much glare to see a single thing that hot morning. But witnesses said and testified and crucified you that you shot me and they claimed they beheld gunsmoke arrive out of the breach. But your thieved rifle, your thieved rifle did not produce gunsmoke and it didn't work anyway. And my fellow drunken officers murdered their fellow officer by shooting me into a sheet of Yalesburg. I didn't think that was in excellent taste. And I gave myself extreme unction outside jail that hot morning. I span round and round hold with big bullets like a yarlsberg and with bubbling hot bitumen over my nice kind face I fell down, quite dead in fact, right in front of a put out tram traveller. And they look worse than what I did, and that Ronald is saying something dear boy. You were shrewd to escape right on Christmas, and showed no initiative just as you shall show none, getting hung in public tomorrow like a side of beef. I managed to whisper the Lord's Prayer as my eyes went out, and immediately, up to heaven, old Georgie boy went. And I got a, a rhythm there. I wanted that rhythm. I don't know. I can't sit around without obsessing myself with a rhythm. And sometimes the rhythm seems much more important than the sense. It's the It's the longing for the rhythm to... Like a skein of wool that you're following a pattern with. You, you, I couldn't write it without the rhythm.
1: It's it's very beautiful writing. And, I mean, you know, the images, things like fairies committing suicide. And
2: In their filmy fashion. <laughs> yes. Well, you're giving language to mm. someone who barely went to state school. But it's. I've, I've got him quoting from T.S. Eliot. Right. Misquoting from T.S. Eliot. Yes. I'm trying to make him as interesting as I can so that there'll be the pity for him and and, and get the audience kind of barracking to, towards a, uh, an unknown result.
1: Yes. Now, for those who um, uh, are younger than us... Um, I
2: thought no-one was younger than us. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were babies.
1: Then you may not remember Ronald Ryan, but he was the last man hanged in Australia. And uh, so the play is an evocation of his last um, 100 minutes... Um, before he's hung.
2: Yeah, well, the backstory there and why I rewrote the play was that I wrote the play in 1992 and 93 from a commission from the then Playbox Theatre and they went over to the Malthouse, the the now Malthouse. But the play was performed there in 94 and I won the Premier's Award and other prizes for the script. But it took two years to write the script and rewrite and rewrite and and re-embroider as I learnt more things about Ronald Ryan and Peter Walker and who he escaped with. But for the ones who are young and and luckily don't know about the gruesomeness of capital punishment, Melbourne is a very conservative city, I think even now more than the 60s. And in the 60s, there was the Melbourne Film Festival and fashion was everything. And, um, you know, people going to the Palais to see new wave French film and, and everything was modern and, and sensuous and avant-garde, and then there was a dreary execution in the middle of it, and most people in Melbourne thought that Ryan would be spared, that they wouldn't proceed to an execution. But the political truth is that uh, the Liberal Party had a vote coming up in March of 67, which Premier Baldy at the time was determined to win, of course, and uh, it wasn't so much that he wanted to see Ryan executed for the murder of George Hodgson, the prison officer, who he's supposed to have murdered. Um, as the cabinet, the cabinet realised that, that Ryan could win them the vote, which which he did, um, by proxy, I mean...
1: Yeah, well, I mean, um, I think it was the same logic that saw the uh, execution of Mayuran Sukumar and, and uh, Andrew Chan um, in early 2015. Um, you know, the president... Um, um, Bambang Yuno, uh thought this would be popular and so uh, the execution went ahead of uh, seven people.
2: And then the truth is I'm not a politician nor would I ever want to be really mm. uh, but it doesn't dissuade, it doesn't change the statistics and it doesn't lessen crime. And what, what it does is destroy the family of the, of the executed, per, execute, executed person and I wanted to write a play about Ryan's family And uh, luckily for me, I met his daughters and his sisters. And um, two of those sisters are still alive in their late 80s. And Ronald Ryan would be almost 90 if he were alive now. And from everything I read, except for the um, murder trial manuscript, which is in the Bailey Library, I couldn't get a quotation. I couldn't get anything that Ryan had said. And since there's no ABC, Vox Pop or interview with Ryan, I wanted to invent a voice that was not his but mine, sort of vis-a-vis Ryan. It was me being Ryan. Yeah. And um, to try and make it as delicious for the audience as I could, funny and unpredictable and upsetting uh, with the sort of abolitionist line but not not inherent, not not preachy. Mm. I didn't want it to be preachy, I wanted it to be funny and absurd and tragic.
1: Yes, well, I mean, you've taken us into the experience, Um, you know, you've taken us to the prison and you've taken us into the voice of Ryan, um, Mm. though it is an imagined voice. Imagined. Yeah. But
2: but when it all changed and why I rewrote the play was I found it from some lawyer friends, some barrister friends. I'm lucky, you know, I've got criminal friends and barrister friends who... But they all, often
1: go together. They're all they?
2: envious of each other. You know, <laughs> right. they, they sort of like to drink with each other.
1: Right. Yeah. And
2: and um, and I found out that Ryan was told personally in the D division cell before he went into the condemned cell that he would be spared, and there was new information, and and he was told that he'd be he'd be pardoned, and this was a terrible thing to tell him. And, yeah, uh, yeah. And when I found all that out um, through legal sources, legal friends. Um, I thought, wouldn't it be good to rewrite the play Mm -hmm. and give Ryan hope that instead of accepting the execution, he's full of hope that he'll be spared on the 3rd of February, 67, uh, 8 o'clock will arrive and he'll go home. Or he'll be, not go home, but he'll be given 10 years or something. And there simply wasn't enough evidence to have a trial. It's because the vote was coming and he was the sacrificial lamb for the Liberal Party.
1: Yes, yes. And there was a very big opposition movement to the execution as well as enthusiasm from the populace. Thousands fight, and right. thousands yeah. of people
2: mm. sang vigils, trade unionists, mm. teachers, Monash mm. teachers, everybody, builders, labourers, everybody tried to, to influence the Liberal Party, yeah. the Nationals, but nothing would dissuade the Cabinet. And then he was... There were 12 journalists who watched the hanging. Mm. I've interviewed them and... Um, one couldn't stop being sick mm. as as it went ahead. They all thought it would be pulled, that it wouldn't mm. go ahead, and then they saw what happened. And uh, there's a guy called Kevin Sanders who covered it for Channel 9, was, just couldn't stop being sick as it happened. Yeah. Mm. And then the sound of the trap, the rope, the neck being heard to break, the shoes coming through, creaking, and then Ryan's heart beat for 15 minutes. There the neck was broken, and then you've got Father Brosnan underneath the gibbet. Um, so Father told me that when Ryan's body came through that he was black all over the face, but Father gave him a gel, which is called chrism, a mystical herb that's put into the nostrils to stop the the, the executed person from entering purgatory. And uh, He'd been to lots of hangings, Father uh, John and Brosnan and... And then he said that he put his hand under the singlet and that Ryan's heart was hammering. For, it beat for 15 minutes. It's appalling. And so I, more than ever I wanted to write something about the sanctity of life and um, that there should have been a proper trial. And I read paperwork doing all my investigative journalism that mm. the, edict, the edict was to speed the trial up,
1: yeah. to get
2: it over well before the vote.
1: Rough justice.
2: There was, he didn't have a chance. no. The poor thing, and, as you say, with those other poor people, you know it's nothing drearier and worse than I think being hanged i can't imagine anything worse
1: yeah well it's such a it's such a crime on every level you know i mean it it's such a crime for the state to be a criminal.
2: Have you read the essays by George Orwell and Charles Dickens, both brilliant essayists as well as novelists on witnessing hangings. And no, I haven't. There's a book of hangings you can give loved ones for Christmas if you want to depress them.
1: <laughs> That's wonderful. We might just um, go through. a break.
2: That could be a good gift for your listeners.
0: See yo.
1: And that was a track from Buried Country, the story of Aboriginal country music. Um, a track by Dan Sultan. Um, it's the Three cr spoken word program. Um, my name is Di Cousins, and today we're talking to Barry Dickens about his play Ryan, which is uh, an evocation of the last hundred minutes of Ronald Ryan, the last man hung in Australia. Um, so Barry, going to read a little bit more. Um, well, what's the context of: what Well we're this continuing? if you
2: call it a scene, die the scene, if it's a scene, or it's a psychological scene, where Ryan is preparing to see a telegram come through a slit in the door of the condemned cell at five to eight. Instead of being hanged at eight o'clock, the telegram will spare him the telegram being sent by uh, the cabinet and he's eagerly looking at that slit, and the bells are about to ring. At D Division they had bells. The bells are still out there. They gong, so you can hear them in Dandenong, 20 miles away. So the 8 o'clock bells are beginning to, or commencing to gong, uh, almost. He knows those bells, every peal of them. And he's staring intently at the slit in the wrought iron door that's about a foot thick, that door, and seeing... The telegram come through. He grasps it.
1: Okay. Do you want to read yeah, the, okay. uh, read the uh, script?
2: The third reprieve coming through the big iron-hearted door. I can see it. I can see it. Shall it be liberty or shall it be my busted neck in the official government telegram? I'll open it. Soon they shall flit it through the keyhole. Here it is. It's If it says life, then they will stay the hanging and my pulse shall be returned to my chest, my pulse that has been legally returned to its rightful owner. Imagine that, having your life handed to you on a plate of fresh favour. The government finds it in their heart to favour Ronald Ryan, and out into oxygenated hope go I, with my body unbroken and my kids back with Daddy, and I'd like to place a sprig of forgiveness on George's new dug grave by God, that is the very first thing on my list, and place fresh flowers not stolen on the guards' new dug graves. I would remember them who died for me, even their bullet shells from the towers were swept well out of sight. But I saw them, I saw them all glitter on the baking hot twisted tram rails, I saw them, and I heard all their bangs, the gunshots, bangs, literally, I heard them. Now it is certainly a minute to go, and they shall lead me up and down, which in death is the same thing, of course. I've been saying my prayers. I've been a good boy. I have been patiently waiting for the telegram to flit in the iron door. I've even hallucinated on the flit of it and the life it contains, but it came leaving nothing but the power of despair. There will be no more delays, the telegram says, like the everlasting seal of disapproval, because the Cabinet didn't like me much, and realised they did, I could win the 1967 Victorian state election for them with my marginal swinging seat. It's quite funny now, but I'm afraid of life or politics because they're the same thing. In my case, certainly the same thing. Look at them. Down there, the 12 journalists, all of them are drunk, watching down there below. They think it's going to be terribly exciting or even fun or even dramatic, but it's business as usual for D Division where I die now and don't come back. Not ever, not once. The hangman tugs my rope roughly and my tinnitus kicks in something shocking. They drop a linen hood over my face. The mumbo-jumbo of the Catholic bullshit and I'm faithfully dispatched to memory and Father Brosnan listens faithfully to my pounding away heart beating like mad. Over two hundred strokes per minute, he says later to his brother, who's a bookie. You should have had a bet on it, says his bookie brother and they laugh and share a bottle. My heart beat so powerfully of its own volition for 20 minutes as I hung there all black in the face. Then I was hurled in a hurry in the quicklime and even now there's no grave for Ryan. But they won the vote. They got what they wanted all due to me. I died for them. If they dig me up now I'd gladly do it all again for the Liberal Party. (laughs) They've got my vote now forever, I tell you that for nothing. Listen, my dear friends of the Theatre of Imprisonment, Listen to me here. You can hear the mermaids in Bass Strait. You can hear them. If you sit perfectly still and respectful of me, and so forth, and so fifth. And those mermaids, they will sing for me.
1: Wow. So beautiful. So beautifully written, Barry. Uh, and, and what inspired you to write about Ronald Ryan? Well,
2: I kept thinking at the time, and now, years on, um, 50 years almost since the day, who cares about him? You know, there's been different journalists who've written books and that, but I've always loved the theatre, and I, I, th- I thought in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, where are the students writing plays about Ronald Reagan? where's their play? You could write a play, can't you? Why don't you? You know, maybe it's too. People will think it's too gloomy. Let's do something that's hilarious, and, and yet I think my play is hilarious. In moments, it is. It's disrespectful. He's defiant, Uh, he's terrified, he's got all the weaknesses and virtues of an an intellect. He's an intellect and a man and a father and all those qualities. And I I thought then and I still think, why isn't he remembered?
1: Yeah, I I think he is remembered. Um, And the play has many uh, layers and many flavours. You know, it has humour and tragedy and... Mm. Insight and and beautiful language, which um, you know, is a really a wonderful thing.
2: Well, that's what the theatre's for, isn't it? Not just visual. I mean, the visual beauty of the theatre, but for language's sake. uh, Mm. I suppose I'm a poet of the theatre. Yeah, I I can't think of any higher place to speak. You know.
1: Um, Now the play's going um, on tour. um, Touchwood.
2: Yeah. yeah, Well, um, certainly looks like sorry. Yeah. Yeah, October, November, December.
1: In 2016. And um, and uh, what else have you been working on recently? Well,
2: I've, I'm the writer-in-residence uh, for a company called Currency Press and they publish Australian films, the scripts for the films, they publish theatre, they've published all of my plays over the years and a wonderful woman named Catherine Brisbane runs Currency Press out of Redfin in New South Wales. And Catherine Brisbane was one of our finest theatre critics and she wrote for The Age and also for The Australian as our, our best theatre critic in my opinion. And uh, and then she published me back in 1980 with a play called The Death of Minnie and uh, that was a one-woman play. It was about a suicide and she that was on at the Playbox and she saw the play on the opening night and published it with another play of mine called The Banana Bender and those plays opened on the same night—one at La Mama and one at the Playbox. Amazing. And that was, you know, the kiss of life. It means once the play's published, you know, the public can read it. It's so good for you as a writer. Yeah. Not, not just forgotten.
1: Now we're also going to be running out of time in yeah, about twenty right. seconds. But you—you're also teaching poetry writing. Some. Yeah, of the time. at
2: Genazzano Catholic Girls' School, and I also teach pro bono at various welfare centres. Right. Um so,
1: yeah. And if anyone would like to get in touch with you about uh, the play and um, yeah. poetry and so on, yeah. your email is uh, uh,
2: dickens, d i c k i n s, dickensbarry at gmail.com.
1: Great. Okay, well, it's been a great treat to have you into yeah. 3CR. Thank you for coming, Barry. No,
2: I was delighted, Diane.
1: Yeah, it's brilliant. A quick word about the live poetry gigs in Melbourne. The Dan O'Connell Hotel in Carlton has poetry on every Saturday afternoon and Passionate Tongues is at the Brunswick Hotel every second Monday night. Westwood happens out at the Dancing Dog Cafe in Footscray twice a month on Sunday afternoons. Voices in the Attic is run fortnightly on Tuesday evenings at 30 Dirk, Level 1 and 2, 239 Lonsdale Street.
2: The House of Bricks, on
0: or near the last day of every month, run by our very own Santo Katsati, that's me, corner of Bud and Keel Streets, Collingwood.
1: Melbourne Poets Union is usually on the last Wednesday of the month at the Wheeler Centre,
0: All of these gigs have open mics if you'd like to try your hand at sharing your work or you can just go to listen. Check out the website, melbournespokenword.com to find out more about the scene.